0: Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hey, my friends, how are we doing this fine, rainy, fall morning here? I welcome you to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 3-299, in which we do not collect donations, sell t-shirts, or ask you to join our membership site. We just chat about the transformations, the sticky, triacal goodness of endurance sport. That's right here. At the run run live headquarters, where we have hundreds, hundreds, literally hundreds of staff members working on this every week, we've been setting the bar low for years and achieving that goal every week, so anyhow, this is your pedantic and snarky host, Chris, and today we're going to have a great chat with a friend of mine, Coach Christie, and I love to chat with coaches because they're they're unique animals, aren't they, coaches? Coaching is such a challenging vocation. I would never personally undertake it. I understand they don't do it for the money. They do it for the thrill of helping others achieve their potential. And in this way, all coaches are like the manifestation of Mother Teresa in our sports. They're selfless enablers, and I dig that. And when you get done listening, if you're curious as to whether you might want to get on Coach Christie and team... Well, you might be right for them. They might be right for you. You can contact them and tell them you heard about them here and they'll give you a, a free evaluation. That's what Christy told me. And you can see if you guys are a fit. Cause fit's really important in coaching because like it or not, it's a very personal relationship between you and your coach. There's a lot of trust involved and not every coach is right for every client. But when you find the right fit, it can be, uh, it can be wonderful. It can be transformational on many different levels. For section one, I wrote a piece on creating mission statements, and in section two, we're going to talk about easy runs. Last time we talked, I was in the middle of a long road trip, and I've spent all of this week trying to recover from that long road trip. I've had a couple of great runs this week. I think it's because the weather has been ideal running weather for me, anyhow, which is 50s, overcast, drizzly, and if I can believe my Garmin, I negative split my hour and 20 out and back this week, so that's an accomplishment. An out and back is like a lukewarm version of a step-up run, so you run the out part at an easy zone 2 pace, so in this case, it was 40, you know, you can't do exactly half or you'll show back up early, so you want to go a little bit longer, so you run out like 41, 42 minutes, and then you turn around and you take it up to zone 3 and 4 on the way back. Uh Just a controlled effort. Not too difficult, but very valuable in building pace and controlling your effort. So anyhow, if the Garmin is to believe, I ran miles 8 and 9 at around a 7.40 pace, mostly uphill while staying in zone 4. And that's encouraging with all the the redlining problems that I've been having in my training and racing. And Tuesday's run, the one before that, felt great, too. Another Another out and back. So there you go. Maybe I'm turning the corner. I'm wearing a different ASICS outfit every day. So I told you about being on the Editor's Choice program for the New York City Marathon, right? So when I got home from my trip, I had two... Boxes of stuff from Asics waiting for me shirts, socks, hats, pants, another two pair of shoes. I can literally wear a new Asics outfit every day. It's insane, and of course, me being me i instead of thanking them, I asked them if they had any gloves that they could lend me, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I ran that that uh, hour and twenty out and back in the new gel Nimbus that they sent me. And I used to be an ASICS snob. My favorite shoe ever was the Gel Cumulus 9. But then they changed it, and I had to switch to another brand. And I'm not sure these Nimbuses, Nimby, Nimby, are I'm not sure they're going to work for me. The outsole is pretty chunky, it's pretty hard, and the crash pad, the heel is fairly significant. And it just feels like too much shoe. Feels kind of heavy, almost like a control shoe. So I had to stop on my, after a mile on my run and unlace them a bit because they were fighting me too much. And we'll see if I can break them in. We'll see who wins, me or the shoes. (laughs) So here's a, here's a tip for you. If the shoe feels too tight or restrictive or your feet are falling asleep or you're getting blisters, anything like that, you can always unlace them or lace them differently. There's no rule that says you have to use all the eyelets in the shoe. So try unlacing the top two eyelets and that will give you uh, more range of motion in the shoe that'll make them fit looser obviously less lacing looser alternatively there's lacing techniques specifically for most of your common fit problems so if your toe box is too loose or too tight you can relace your shoes to make them fit better trust me google it there's all different ways to lace shoes since I was home this week, not home home, but home from the road, I went and got a physical from my friend Dr. Schlemak. got my flu shot too, and you'll be happy to know that my prostate is very healthy, but I'm walking with a bit of a limp now. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my heart rate is normal for a runner, and my blood pressure is spot on, and I might be a couple pounds overweight for my height, but we're going to pretend that's muscle mass. So, speaking of prostate, thank you very much. I know I sent a video out, if you were on my mailing list this week, I sent a video out of me asking to top off my fund for the Marine Corps Marathon for prostate. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm over my, uh, my subscription goal, so thank you very much. But I do have to go now and schedule the over 50 colonoscopy, which after listening to Peter Herridge's stories, I'm not really sure I'm looking forward to. But other than that, I'll be dancing on your grave. Why? Because I'm indestructible. (laughs) But you knew that already. Because you know what they say, all right? When life gives you lemons, it's not really all that important because when the singularity comes and we transcend the physical to become a race of ephemeral psychic energy, really, we won't have much use for lemons, will we? On with the show.
1: Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought.
0: What's your two-word mantra? So a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of seeing a keynote speech by Guy Kawasaki, who you probably know Guy. He's a well-known social media gadfly these days, but he made his mark as part of the original Apple team. He was their evangelist, his technology evangelist. And I follow Guy on social media because he, or his social media minions, posts some really good stuff. And it was good to see him speak in the protein form. Part of his presentation was a riff on how horrible most companies' mission statements are. And this is easy prey because most companies' mission statements are an exercise in bureaucratic farce. It's one of the things that we in corporate America smile and nod at. And then we go figure out how to tell a story about our companies that actually means something. The Deeper management science here is how can you expect anyone in the company to act homogeneously, in other words, with one purpose or colloquially with all the wood behind the arrow, if your leadership comes up with a directional statement that's void of intelligence? When your management team builds these perfectly sensible but nonsensical mission statements, they're essentially telling the employees and the world that they have no idea what the company's purpose is, and you should go figure it out for yourselves. The bad news is that this leads to cultural ennui and chaos. The good news is that cultural ennui and chaos are sometimes better than being tethered to the mindless drone sitting in the C suite. Like I said, it's an easy target. As an aside, I remember going to my first board meeting as a member of a management team and looking around the room and thinking, These jokers are the board of directors, but that's another story. Getting back to Guy and the corporate mission statement, he posits that the best mission statements are brief and compelling. And Guy said you shouldn't have a mission statement, you should have a mantra. You should have your mission in a two-word mantra. And he gave an example of two. And one, one of the examples he gave was he talked about Nike's mission statement. And their current mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete uh, with an asterisk after athlete in the world. And then below with the asterisk, the footnote, it says, if you have a body, you are an athlete. So Guy said that this was too long and should simply be authentically athletic. So whether you love or hate Nike, you have to admit, that's a pretty good two-word mission statement. I was telling this story to a table full of industry people at lunch later in the week, and one of them happened to be a manager from Nike. And when I came to the authentically athletic punchline, she was just thrilled, and she wanted to take that and use it. And I had to fess up and tell her it was from Guy's presentation. I didn't want to claim credit for Guy's marketing brilliance, but it just shows how right he was because this lady lit up when she heard that. So why does a short Concise mission statement or mantra. Why does that work so well? For a number of reasons. First, when you're forced to choose two words, you have to decide what is the most important. When you look at most two paragraph mission statements, let's say there's four to six sentences. Each sentence has two to three themes in it. That's up to 18 themes or points you're trying to make with one mission statement. Folks, that doesn't work. It always cracks me up when you ask an organization what are their most important drivers, and they respond with a big list of things that are the most important. Everything can't be the most important. If you really have all those things as most important, then your leadership has failed you. Everyone is pulling in different directions, and you'd better start looking out because this boat is circling the drain. When you force your leadership team to pick two words... It forces them to decide what is important. What are the umbrella themes or aspirations that the rest of these important things fall into and under? Another great thing about short mission statements is that it allows the team being led leeway in aligning with the purpose. You're not specifically telling people how to get to the purpose or the aspiration of the mission. You're just putting a notch in the tree and letting them figure out the best way to get there. This is imminently unifying and empowering at the same time. It's like asking two radically different ideologues if they love their country. They'll both say yes, even though their ideologies are diametrically opposed. The tenets of patriotism in this example is a brief but unifying force. And finally, a brief mission statement, that accurately captures the purpose of the organization, the why, is an extremely powerful motivator. Employees are not very productive under the carrot and stick approach. This worked back in the early 1900s, the production line, but it doesn't motivate real well today. What motivates today's workforce is a strong sense of mission, and that's why leadership teams started trying to put together mission statements in the first place, they know that if there is a compelling mission, the employees will work harder to get there. You've all seen these companies with a core mission that resonates. The culture becomes one of doing whatever it takes to fulfill the mission. That's the pinnacle of intrinsic motivation. Guy went on to say that individuals should have mission statements too. And he said this as an aside, but I found it to be extremely interesting as an exercise. If we were to force you to describe your life mission in two words, what would they be? What's your purpose? And after we came out of Guy's session, my, my wise guy co-worker turned to me and asked me, so what's your two-word mission statement? But since I had been rolling that question around in my mind, I had a quick answer. I said, indestructible attitude. And the way I thought through the answer was that it needed to be aspirational and act as an umbrella mission for all the other experiences and goals and strengths. I figured the most powerful thing I can do, that I do, in any situation, work, life, family, sports, community, is to have the attitude that I'm indestructible. And having the attitude that I can weather any storm and find my way eventually to the solution, that gives me the freedom to act independently and add unique value. It's aspirational in the sense that anyone who knows me knows I'm not really indestructible, but as long as my attitude is indestructible, it'll work out. It'll work out positively. So my homework to you is to think about it and come up with, as Guy suggests, your two-word personal mission statement. Test it out in your peers. See if it's authentic. Then write it on your whiteboard and live it. Cheers.
1: And now for today's featured interview.
0: So, Coach, Coach Christie, Henderson, Nevada. Wow, yeah, Las Vegas.
1: We've had some floods the last couple days, but. uh,
0: I saw that. I saw that the water was uh, like uh, thigh deep there a couple of days ago. Yeah,
1: the the town is is built for sun. We're not built for water, so when it rains, it leaks and floods, but it goes away. Right.
0: Right, it uh, it has no place to go because yeah. you guys yes. don't have drains or any of that stuff. It just has to run down the road. Pretty much. So I remember when I was working in Chihuahua. Ah. We used to have those storms, and it's a uh, same thing. It's a high desert mountain yeah. city, and uh, the the rain would just run down the roads, about three foot deep. Yeah. And if you happen to be out driving around, you'd be like, you know, you'd be like in a in a boat. Pretty much. Floating down the road.
1: Yeah, the, the ground and everything's so hard-baked that the water doesn't have time to absorb. It just scoots across.
0: Right. So so you're a coach, Christy, and you just started uh, out on your own, yes. right? Yes. You guys, you guys just launched a little coaching business,
1: huh? We did. Um, coach Rebecca Adamson and I um, just launched KR Endurance, and we are excited, um, very excited. We've been coaching for a while, and it was ready to spread our wings and, and go out on our own, and we're very excited about things to come.
0: So what prompted you guys to go out on your own?
1: Uh, Rebecca and I um, have the same philosophies, same coaching ethics and things like that. And it was just, you know, there comes times when it's kind of like when it's, you know, it's time to leave leave the nest. And it was just the natural progression. And it was just time to go. And um, things are really falling into place. We're excited. We've got... An amazing group of athletes of all abilities, from some that are just fitness enthusiasts to 5K to Ironman, um, and just could not be happier.
0: Yeah. So I've always thought that to be a very difficult business because it's hard to scale. You know, in order to have one on one presence with your athletes, you can only have so many athletes because there's only so much time in the day.
1: Very true. Very true. You have to budget your time wisely. And especially with us being global, um, you have different, like just you and I trying to connect because of, of different time zones, you just have to budget your day. It's it's different than the nine to five atmosphere. Um, you have pockets all day, every day, but it's, it's nice. It's flexible. And it just, it ends up just falling into place, but you do have to to budget your time wisely and um, be wary of time zones so you're not calling people in the middle of the night or (laughs) the wrong time.
0: And it's, it's, you have to do it every day too. You have to plan well because people are doing their logs, they're doing their workouts. You have to you have to get back to them on their, their plans and their workout logs every day. So it's it kind of ties you down as well. You can't really, like, walk away from it.
1: No, it's, it's a seven-day-a-week thing, and, you know, everybody knows weekends are the peak weekends because that's when everybody's racing, and, um, you know, some holidays are our biggest working days of the year, Thanksgiving being the perfect example because everybody does a turkey trot. So it's different, but I wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: <laughs> what do you like about it?
1: It's easy to like because it's my passion. You know, I have a, a professional background. I was in property management for years and then just the fitness industry came to me and I couldn't get enough of it. And with running and triathlon and everything, it just kind of evolved. And I, there's nothing more, oh, how do I want to say it? There's nothing more rewarding than to get that email, get that phone call, get that text from that athlete that's had that breakthrough moment, whether it's is a PR or they were able to complete a full set of push-ups for the first time, or, you know, they finished their first triathlon or they got a BQ there's everybody's goal, no matter how big or small is important. And to be able to help somebody reach that goal and facilitate it, words can't describe how rewarding that is. It's just, it's such a great thing to be a part of somebody's life to help them reach their goals, whether it be in fitness or in racing. It's, I could gush all day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I see that sometimes where, you know, somebody's done something to, to me would be like, okay, sure, you know. Big deal! You ran a 5K or you did a sprint triathlon, but they're just so excited that it's just infectious, you know?
1: Exactly, it's, and it doesn't matter how big or small somebody's goal is; it's their goal, and it's just exciting for them. And that's that's one of our philosophies: we celebrate every single goal and accomplishment with equal amount of enthusiasm because it's it's important to them, so it's important to us, so it's great. <laughs> so, what's
0: your what's your typical client?
1: To be honest, everybody's individual. We really don't have a typical client because we have such a wide range. Rebecca is pretty much the triathlon specialist, but she does also coach runners. I am a running specialist, but I do coach triathletes. But we literally have athletes from teenage up to... You know, well into their seniors of all abilities. So we we don't have a typical athlete, and that's why we don't have a typical coaching approach, because we have to be atypical to be unique for each unique athlete.
0: So give me the um, you know sort of your philosophy. What's your what's your coaching philosophy?
1: When we were coming up with things um, to start, we had kind of this imagery um, in the very beginning where we were getting our ideas, and Rebecca was out for a run and you know, when everybody's been running through the summer, it's hot, it's brutal, it's demoralizing, it's hard. And then when the fall leaves come, it's just like everybody feels like a superhero again because the new temperatures and everything. And she just saw the fall colors and she saw a leaf and she's like, that's got to be us somehow, some way. And, you know, if you go to our website, we have the imagery where, you know, in the fall, one leaf as it changes colors has a good impact. But with a supportive environment and you have all of these, you know, the leaves, you get the full fall color when everybody's at their, when every leaf is at their peak, they have the greatest impact. Um, so our philosophy is, is we don't train no two athletes alike. It's it's very individual based on their life because life gets in the way, depends on what motivates them because there are different ways of training different athletes and it may work for one person and it may not work for another. There's some people that, have access to gym equipment. There are some people that don't. There are some people that can run trails that are some people that can't. And so we really communicate a lot with each athlete to get to know them personally, because we want to set them up with their schedule with one that they can do, not one that they're constantly looking at going, okay, I can't get to the gym. I don't have this access. I need to modify this workout, or I have a meeting at work. I need to do something at this time. And we really, truly try to to make it as individual to that person um, and not have a blanket approach that we place on every athlete, if that makes sense.
0: I mean, you probably get some fairly low-maintenance folks and some some high-maintenance folks, right? And some people who know what they're doing and some people who don't really know what they're doing. I mean, do you ever have people that get, you know, that sort of lose it because they missed a workout? You know, they end up crying on the phone with you or something? Oh, of course. course
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's that's part of a part of what we do you know um we have to also support and motivate people you know training is also emotional as well as it is physical um and so you know especially everybody knows what t- taper madness can do to people sure you know we there are many times where we have to be available to talk people off the ledge because it's just there's so much time and energy involved and Typically, athletes—we're all a little overachieving, a little Type A-ish. There's some that aren't, but every workout is so important to us, and we feel defeated if we can't get it in. Um, but
0: that's that's. Or, 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 you know, in my case, I usually I get a little bummed out when the workout beats me, right?
1: Right. <laughs> but sometimes those are good because you know it helps you get stronger.
0: It's it's a balancing act, it is, right? It
1: is. It's very much a balancing act.
0: So you you have to communicate. You have to touch your athletes enough to know when they're starting to slide into those those different uh, mental moods or mental conditions. Because um, it's like anything else. They can they can be somewhere, and if you're not talking to them, you won't know.
1: Right. And you have to be in tune to them. Um... It's, it's funny I have a couple athletes where I'll be look, uh, be in their log and all of a sudden I'll get a text from them saying I know you're looking <laughs> they have no way of knowing but they'll say just stop I'm, I'm doing this and you know and it's we become so connected um, and you kind of have to be that way uh, I have a, a a slight counseling background and sometimes I, I say that I use my counseling background um, more than I do use my my coaching certification sometimes but you have to train the athlete as a whole not just physically but also mentally and emotionally
0: so when you're reading logs I bet there's trigger phrases and trigger words that pop right out at you that go uh oh we're into an overtraining condition here or something else is going on something like that
1: yeah there it's And it can be different for each athlete because there are some, you know, a big trigger for me is, is when, you know, I've got some that give me like the little mini novel in a log or something's going on. And then all of a sudden one day I get done in a log I'm like, Hmm, I need to talk to them or every, and sometimes too, as athletes, we have a tendency to push ourselves and maybe ignore the little niggle here and there. And I may have something that pops up on the radar if somebody says, oh, well, my hip was feeling a little different today. And or yeah. I get my favorite word or unfavorite word is wonky. I'm like, define the wonky. <laughs> so um, sometimes it does take a little investigational skill as well.
0: Yeah, and, and you can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, you you get an ache or a pain. It could be just a phantom ache or a pain. Of course. Or it could be something serious. We don't know, right? You know. Yeah. So
1: and and I'm I'm very passionate. I don't want anybody to go down on my watch. Um, they're my kids, and I, I nickname them my kids, something like that. I'm like, it's kind of a, a nickname. <laughs> I, I'm very hands-on, and I communicate a lot with each and every one of them, and uh, it's just very important that way.
0: Have you ever had to fire a client? No. No. I've had to fire a client. Sometimes it's just not a good personality fit. Not, you know?
1: not yet. There have been situations where um, somebody has, has quit training and it was time to come back and I knew I was not the best coach for them um, and they did. They were able to find somebody else. because there, there are some times where, yes, you want to coach everyone, but a coach's responsibility is also knowing that you're not a good fit, but knock on wood, I have not had to have anyone mid training cycle where I've had to do that. And I know as a coach, it will happen someday, but you know, as a coach, it's my responsibility to be the best fit for my athlete. So, and if I'm not it, then I need to do what's the right thing.
0: What have you had surprise you in the last, uh, last couple of years with people? Anything stand out that you, that happened that you wouldn't have expected?
1: Uh. I can't really say that there's any one main thing that stood out, but what I can say that gets me each and every time it's, it's one of those, those moments where I get that text or I get the call or something, whether it be after a workout or a race and somebody is just beside themselves because they did what they weren't able to do or they didn't think they could and it's just such a moment of sheer pride to be a part of that, um, just to have them. And it's hard to explain. You can't, it's not a tangible thing. Um, I've had kids call me about their parents. I've had spouses. I've had coworkers where I get messages, you know, where they say, I've seen somebody, you know, turn around at work, somebody that couldn't do certain things or had no confidence or, or finish their race or whatever but just to see that other people see it as well. It's, it's, we're not just coaches. Um, we, we make differences, help people make a difference in their life. And um, it's, it's really, again, it's not a tangible thing I can explain.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we're all, we've all done it with our own lives, right? Yeah. You use endurance sports as a, as a, as a way to transform. Yeah. But in this case, you're saying that you become the catalyst in someone else's transformation. And and in that process, you can vicariously experience it over and over again.
1: Oh yes, yes. Um, I what is that old the Olympic intro? Um, what was it the 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 thrill of victory and the agony of defeat? Um, I yeah. I live every victory, every workout, every even disappointments. I I live everything um, through every one of my athletes. Um, I literally I joke that I have a path worn in my kitchen floor on race days, I literally pace back and forth um, <laughs> until I hear from everybody. Um, because I'm just I'm there with them.
0: Yeah. Have you seen um, the sort of transformation that you're getting from people? Have you seen that then change them as people in the broader sense yes. in their work and their lives and their community and their family?
1: Absolutely. It gives them more confidence at work. Um, it gives them more energy to do what they want to be able to do. And being out there in the community racing and competing or in fitness, they meet other people and they can do great things. Um, we have just, and every athlete's different, but everyone, I we have such great people on the team. Every person is a good person and they all do something good every day and I hate to gush and sound, you know, kind of like a Hallmark card but I'm, I I tr- truly mean it.
0: So you're kind of, you know, Vegas is a, is a bit it's kind of a weird city because there's people from everywhere. Yes. sort of mushed together. Yes. But it is sort of in the southwest like, you know, like a Houston or a Dallas where fitness isn't always on the top of everybody's mind. No. Um, culturally?
1: It's not. And we do have we do have some of the culture here, but it's not nearly as big. You know, I'm from North Carolina. Um, and the triad and the triangle areas, there are huge fitness communities there. Here there are little pockets. It's getting I've lived here almost 13 years and it's gotten a lot better. Um, but it's still the fitness community here is still in the minority, but it's come up a lot further since, um, I've moved here.
0: Do you think overall in the, in the U S, um, in the Western world, do you think we're making a difference? Do you think things are turning around?
1: I, you know, I, I honestly think I do. I mean, back in the, when I first started running and things like that, it was, I was just dabbling and things. Then, you know, I started getting into it and training and it was hard to find other people to train with. And then 2010 was a really big year. There was this huge explosion of the half marathon and the marathon world and the triathlon world. And everything just seems it's, it's becoming more, I don't want to say popular, because I don't want to say that it's a, by saying popular, it's a fad. Um, I'd like to think that it's a lifestyle and it will continue. But. Um, but I definitely see a lot more participation, a lot more race sellouts. Um, it was difficult for me to find races at first when I moved here and now there are just way too many <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, but I just I see there's a huge increase yes.
0: hm Because I think it's probably something we need that you know it's a, it's a next level of evolution in Western society is to sort of bring our uh, bodies along with what uh, what the rest of the development
1: absolutely absolutely we have we have to take care of ourselves we only get one body to live in so it's you, you got to take care of it um and i'm a huge proponent for that
0: what would be in the top of your mind in terms of advice you'd give people looking to uh to find a coach and to get into a training plan
1: the first thing i want to do is is tell someone there's a lot of there are a lot of options out there a lot so they can find what best suits them. Um, There are a lot of cookie-cutter training plans. There are a lot of good training plans. Um, And to remember, a training plan is a plan. It's an outline. Uh, It's not exactly individual to that person. So it's always good to have a little advice from someone you trust, whether it be an experienced racer or a coach, as myself, um, to help guide to prevent you know injury. Or um, one common thing with training pan- plans is some people get something that doesn't fit them. They need to train within their ability. Um, somebody who's just starting doesn't necessarily need to go from a couch to 5K ability and say, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to qualify for Boston training plan. Um, it would set them up for injury and um, just it would not be a successful journey. Um, So to train within their means, find something that can be individual to them. um, And, you know, when finding a coach, make sure um, you find a a good, reputable coach. Um, There are a lot of coaches out there, um, and there's some great ones, and there are some um, that are not, but everybody, um, that's why there's a variety of coaches, because there's a variety of athletes. We can meet the needs of different people, but finding one that's certified, um, that is keeping up with, with, um, education and, um, trends and doing what's best for the athlete is a really good thing. There are a lot of people out there that call themselves coaches, um, that don't have the certification or the qualifications behind them. And, um, I'm just kind of a a big proponent on that, but the main thing too, is when an athlete's looking for somebody, don't settle. Um, really interview the coach and the coach should be interviewing them back as well because you really want a good fit um, because if you don't have a good fit it's not going to be a motivational or a successful partnership.
0: Right, you got to work together. Yes. Alright. Uh, we'll, we'll move you towards the exit here, Christine, okay. so you can get on with your uh, with your coaching today. You. What are the links to your new, your new business?
1: We are KR Endurance. It is www.krendurance.com.
0: All right. Any, any other uh, any other links you want to pass out? Um,
1: we are also on Twitter, um, and it's at KR Endurance, and you can also find us on Facebook.
0: KR Endurance? Yes. All right. All right. Great talking to you. Thanks for your time. I
1: appreciate it very much.
0: All right. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports.
0: Easy runs and garbage, Miles. This is actually chapter, one of the chapters in my Marathon BQ book. See, I'm killing two birds with one stone this week. Part of any good training plan is your base, the easy runs. The majority of the running you will do in a plan is often just recovery and easy runs. Is there a science to easy runs? Is there a right way or wrong way to run these easy runs? Are these just filler? Are they garbage miles? This is a topic that's become more interesting in recent years as the science and opinion has shifted. So it turns out that your easy runs are a fundamental part of your training plan, and that there is a right and wrong way to run them in most cases. As with everything else, in training for a marathon, the easy run has a number of nuances to it that I shall review here with you. The first topic under easy runs is the concept of base building. When you enter an official training cycle for a race, you have to make a decision on whether or not you have the appropriate base to support that training cycle, and how do you know? The base is an important training enabler in a number of ways. If you're going to drop into a hard training schedule, you need to have cardio fitness, muscle strength, and the general skeletal robustness to handle it. A good base of running will mean that your cardiovascular system has adapted to running. Your lungs and heart are bigger and stronger and ready for that harder push. And this kind of adaptation doesn't happen overnight, especially if you're starting from a sedentary lifestyle. This kind of base adaptation may take a year or more. Your muscle strength will be the fastest to adapt to any base training. After a few weeks of easy running, your leg muscles will be used to the effort and ready for more. Muscle adaptation is typically not the constraint when you drop into a hard training plan. Skeletal and connective tissue adaptation, on the other hand, does not happen quickly and is typically a constraint to hard training. The majority of failed training cycles will be due to some sort of tendonitis or other connective tissue injury. A good, long, easy base building phase will allow the fascia and connective tissue to adapt to the stress and be in a position to handle a hard training cycle. How much base do you need before dropping into a training cycle? I mean, it's different for different people. Whether you have enough base to jump into a training cycle will depend on a few factors. First, what's your experience in general? How long have you been running? Did you run in school? Have you been consistently putting in 20 to 25 mile weeks for a year or so? I mean, if the answer is yes, then you probably have a pretty good base built up. Second is age. Younger people will react much more positively to any training and will recover faster from hard efforts. The younger body will adapt faster to base training and hard training alike. If you're under 35, you can probably get away with, with less base. What do you do if you don't think you have enough Base to drop into a serious training cycle? Well, the answer is simple. You need to do a base building phase first. And depending on your experience, age, and goals, this could be as short as a few weeks or as long as a few months. And what does a base building cycle look like? It looks like running for an hour or more at a low heart rate level with good form a few times a week. What is the appropriate effort level? What is low heart rate effort and why do you want to do that? Well, I'm not going to go too deeply into the science of heart rate or aerobic training here. I'll just give you the, the overview and a couple of rules of thumb to get you started. When most of us go out for an easy run, we run too hard. If you take your effort level and split it up into five zones, you can determine what effort level to train your easy runs at to get the best adaptation. A zone one would be equivalent to a walking effort or a very slow jog. A zone two effort is a very easy effort level. It may be a slow jog or even a run with some walking involved. You should be able to talk in full sentences and not be breathing hard. Zone two effort level is where you should be doing your easy runs, especially in the base building phase. Zone 3 effort level is where most of us are actually doing our easy runs. And this effort level still feels relatively easy, but your heart rate and breathing are up. And they're up to the point where you're talking in broken sentences between breaths. You're not breathing hard per se, but your breathing is noticeable. We start getting up into zone 4 effort level. That's when you're starting to get into tempo or even into race effort. You're breathing hard and you can only squeeze out words around your breathing. This effort level may not be sustainable for long efforts. Zone 5 and above, that's your 5K, 10K race effort level. Your heart is working hard, and you're breathing hard. At this effort level, you have trouble speaking at all. Long story short, during this base building phase, you want the majority of your runs to be at a Zone 2 effort level. Next you want to use your easy runs to practice good form and mechanics. Since you're running at a low effort level, you can use this opportunity to work on your form. Focus on running easily and lightly in your easy runs. Work on an easy fast foot strike and good upright posture with an easy arm swing. In this way, these easy runs become another training tool to make you a better, more efficient runner. They are another form of homework that supports the harder efforts in your training plan. They are practice. Practice in finding and controlling effort level and practice in finding and managing efficient form. What about the easy runs that are part of your marathon training plan when you get into the plan? The easy runs that are built into your marathon training plan are not as much focus on base building, because you should have a reasonable base before you start the plan, The easy runs in your marathon training plan are more focused on active recovery. These easy runs will usually fall on the day before or after a hard, speed, tempo, or long run. These recovery runs should be run at a very easy effort level. The focus should be on movement, not effort. Using your muscles in the easy run promotes recovery by bringing blood to the muscles, which brings nutrients and takes away waste. You should never fall into the trap of using your recovery runs to run hard, even if you feel great. It may feel great today, but misusing a recovery run will come back to bite you later in the training cycle. Not recovering well will manifest as exhaustion and injury later in the cycle. If you really feel the need to work up a little sweat in your easy run, do it in the last mile. If you've got too much energy, then hold that easy zone two pace until you're a half or a quarter mile out from your finish, and then let your pace accelerate. This will be the final, you know, minute or so of your run. No longer than that. These fast finish episodes at the end of an easy run, they're okay. They're not a bad thing because you're not doing it long or hard enough to wear you out. When you do a fast finish, your body is nice and warmed up, and it'll handle the effort. These teach your body to close a run hard, which is what you need to do in a race, and they build confidence. Just be sure not to overdo it. In summary, easy runs, they're not garbage miles. They are an integral part of your training plan. First, as a way to build the base necessary for a hard training campaign, and secondly, as a way to practice good form and effort management. And finally, they're an integral part of your active recovery During a hard training cycle. The woods are lovely, dark,
1: and deep. But I have promises to keep. And miles to go before I sleep. And
0: miles to go before I sleep. There we are again at the end of another perfectly... Mediocre podcast to keep our streak alive at 3-299. Another year or so, I'm going to catch up with Steve. You know I'm coming, Steve. I haven't made much progress on on revamping the format for the post-300 episode era. I'm still working on that. I'll be like that. I can't get anything done without an impending deadline. I do have a great interview with uh, Andrew Castor for the next show, for show 300. I'm going to have to make uh, Sparta jokes about that episode. 300. I also have three user-produced interviews in the can, so we can start with those and see where it leads us. The voice of the people must be heard. I had a great email from Greg Jensen last week, who we talked to a while back. I don't know what episode it was, but one of our episodes. And he was the cool guy with the Mayan running adventures in Guatemala. And he came back to the States and he shot me an email. He said he actually got some new customers from being on our show, which tickles the heck out of me, first of all, that someone is actually listening, that they cared enough about the topic to take action, and that I was able to positively impact this guy who's doing some good and interesting things. So on the flip side of that, I also got one of those messages that said, I did that workout you were talking about and I injured myself. Thanks a lot. (laughs) So clearly you're not listening when I tell you that I'm not a coach and you should ask someone who actually knows what they're talking about before jumping into one of my crazy workouts or training plans. And speaking of crazy training plans, I did not complete yet, quite yet, but I have made excellent progress, more than half done, on my September write a book a month project. I'm 11 chapters in or so into a book I have tentatively called Marathon BQ, how to qualify for the Boston Marathon in 12 weeks. And that should see the light of day shortly as an Amazon ebook. And if it sounds like something you're interested in, I'd love to get some eyes on the draft as unpaid slave labor. I mean, uniquely valuable executive editors. So if you're interested, shoot me an email. I'll send you a draft. I'm not changing careers here. I just have to get some of the things out of my brain and onto the page so I can sleep at night. I got too much stuff kicking around up there. So if you decide they're worth reading, that's great. Uh, to bring us to the finish line here, I have a poignant story about my old friend who's around here somewhere. Where is he? I think he went up and climbed in my bed. He does that, especially if he's wet. He'll climb in my bed. This isn't the story. This is the story before the story. This is an extra story. So he'll come in and he'll climb into my bed right, right where I lay my head on the pillow. That's where he'll put his big border collie butt. So I'll wake up in the morning with all kinds of border collie hair sticking out of my beard. (laughs) It's kind of gross. But, you know, he loves me. I love him. So anyhow, next story. He loves this cold weather, by the way. I took him out for a couple of long, easy runs in the woods because he's getting old. So I'm trying not to run him as much. But he just loves going. So we went out last week, and when, when I got back from my trip, we went out. And he doesn't get out as much, so it's a bit of a chore for him to hit the trails with me now. He's not in real good shape, especially if the weather gets at all warm. You know, it was a little warm, a little dry that day, and all the water's dried up in the woods right now because it's uh, at the end of, end of autumn, so there's no, like, mud puddles or or ponds or streams for him to jump into, which he likes. So I was out with him on a planned hour-and-a-half easy run just a trot in the woods on last Friday, And we got 40 minutes in, and we came to a fork in the trail. And one way was to keep going out, you know, to do my loop around the pond. And the other way was to go back to the house. And he wanted to go back to the house. That's the first time in our years of running together that this dog has ever bailed out on a run on me. But he was definitely, he was set. He said, I'm done. I'm going home. 40 minutes is enough. So God love him. He's getting older, and I'm going to miss him. I'm getting older, too but he's uh he's one of the best friends I've ever had a joyous runner and a great listener with a love of life that'll never fade so you folks hug your hug your dogs they deserve it. so I had to give up the pole dancing apparently you get paid by tips and I wasn't gonna be able to really uh pay my bills on that basis for some reason plus coach said it was adding too much upper body mass for a runner, so I guess it's it's back to uh whacking bad guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm CYKT Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao.